This is Knesset Corner with Rabbi Dov Lippmann. I'm Scott Kahn. Recently, the defense minister, Avigdor Lieberman, came out and told people to stop the celebration, to stop all the excitement about President Trump's inauguration. A lot of people in Israel had thought that once Trump became president, Israel would be free to do whatever it wanted. We could annex the West Bank. We could build more settlements and so on and so forth. Avigdor Lieberman is now pouring cold water on that idea. What's happening, Rabbi Lippmann? So uh, very often people don't understand how much is involved in all the decisions that Israel has to make. Uh, even if a prime minister wanted to go out and annex the entire West Bank and build settlements wherever he wanted and, and do anything, uh, he can't do that. Not because he can't physically do that, but because there's so many other considerations to take into account. For example, there's a country called Iran. Iran has openly said they have nuclear aspirations and they want to use those weapons to destroy Israel. Israel. So a leader of Israel, and I'm, I'm giving credit now to the prime minister for this, has to think about the overall picture. And he'd rather be in a coalition with the United States against Iran, reaching out to Russia, reaching out to the stability-seeking Arab states in the region to deal with the major threat to the existence of Israel, which is Iran and other terrorist issues, than to score points, so to speak, or even not score points, or to act on the value of the West Bank is ours, we should be able to build settlements. So very often people are focusing on the narrow, narrow points. We need to be building settlements. We have to have the West Bank being ours. And they don't realize that leadership requires thinking about the broader issues and broader security issues also include these greater considerations. So there's not going to be any major change. Uh, Yes, the administration might be friendlier to Israel. There might be a, a honor guard welcoming the prime minister, and the defense minister just had an honor guard welcoming him at the Pentagon. And that's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and I celebrate that. I like seeing Israel given that kind of honor and kavod. That's a good thing. But in terms of policy changes, you're not going to see any, any major changes, and you're going to start seeing significant frustration on the Israeli right. Wait a minute. Is it really true that the various members of the coalition, people on the right who are telling Netanyahu and pushing him, it's now time to annex the West Bank and so on and so forth, they know the same thing you're saying right now. They knew this would be true. Do they really believe that with Trump in office, everything would change, things differently from the past 60 or 70 years? So the truth is, I don't know what they believed or didn't believe. I, I do believe that people thought there would be significant change uh, or, or some change. Um, and I think they're surprised and frustrated that there isn't change. Uh, does somebody like Naftali Bennett realize that you can't do everything that he says? Yes, he does realize that. He's a smart guy. He's, he understands the broader security issues. He's sat in the security cabinet. He understands uh, what's at stake. So he's playing to uh, his base. Yeah, and there's politics here. Listen, there's a smell of elections uh, in the air. Many people are saying by June, July, an indictment of possibly of the prime minister, go to elections uh, after the holidays in the fall. So people are starting to position themselves uh, for that. And Naftali Bennett certainly will position himself uh, towards the right. You're going to hear a major, major outcry from the Israeli right wing. One, because of their hopes and expectations with the new administration. But also, let's remember, this is a the most right-wing Israeli government that we've had in decades, if, if not forever. And what have they done for the Israeli right wing? Have they annexed anything? Have they built new settlements? No. The only thing we've seen is dismantling uh, of settlements. We haven't seen anything in terms of progress. So that frustration is going to build, and you're going to start hearing loud voices for either strengthening the Bayit Hudi, the Jewish home party, and Naftali Bennett will call people to support them and say, look, you went for Netanyahu last time, see what happened. Uh, 
you have to vote for us. You'll hear other right-wing parties. It might strengthen Moshe Fagelin and his party, which you don't hear very much about on the national level, but you might hear people just shifting towards that, and maybe they'll start building towards the four mandates they need to get into Knesset. I don't know what will happen. Or... Or, at the end of the day, people will once again... You saw the look of panic on my face. Yeah, <laughs> oh, once again, people will say, yeah, but we need a Tanyahu, he's our security person, and somehow they'll go to him again. I have no idea how it'll play out. But you're going to hear a major, major outcry. There's major frustration. And I want to say one more thing. For this right-wing government, the people of Amona, right, were le- they, 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 they dismantled their homes. They're out there. No one's built them new homes. They've been promised a new settlement. It's not happening. I actually feel that's a failure of the state of Israel. You know, people don't realize this. Yesh Atid, okay, this party, which I don't know how it'll be painted, but a party which will certainly be painted as being left of Netanyahu or left of the current government, uh, I would disagree with that categorization because we would never have people sitting there without homes to move to. Even if a decision ever had to be made uh, to do something in terms of uh, removing a settlement here or whatever it is, people have to have homes to move to. The head of the Knesset lobby, on behalf of the people who were uh, did, who were sent out of Gush Katif and, and Aza uh, and who had no home to move to, is Yeshatid. Uh, they're the ones who are ahead of that. So there's a certain level of care for the people, which perhaps a non-quote-unquote right-wing government might have for the people who are being asked to move from their homes. Does this mean that the right-left continuum that we usually think of is actually completely... Is, is it a real thing at all anymore? Okay, I think it's complete absurdity. And I'm happy that we brought to this point, and I'm happy we're talking about this point way before elections uh, will be called. It's an absurdity, this right-wing, left-wing. They love branding anybody who says anything about, about uh, trying to resolve the conflict with Palestinians as, as left, and they're horrible, and we're the right. Again, look at what this quote-unquote right-wing government has succeeded in doing. Nothing for the right-wing agenda other than dismantling settlements. I think people have to start looking at the broader picture. Who's the best leader for the state of Israel overall? Who's going to deal with some of the internal issues in the state of Israel, both the religious secular issues, the religion and state issues, the domestic issues, economic issues? Who has a vision? And yes, for the Palestinian issue, not to be in a situation we're in today where we have, we're in no man's land and we have no idea and there's empty promises, but a real straightforward policy. I can tell you in terms of Yeshat our policy, we set it straightforward. Yes, we would come out and say we will not build settlements uh, in the outside the blocks, the settlement blocks. We won't build new. We, we will say that openly. We will not build that. Now, right wing people might get upset with that, but you know what that will gain us? We will build as much as we want in Gush Etzion, in Male Adumim, in Ariel, something which is not happening uh, right now. So sometimes this right wing, left wing cry coming out and saying we will not build settlements. Uh, outside the blocks, actually empowers the settlement enterprise, so to speak, in the major areas of the, of the gushim, of the settlement blocks. So this whole right-wing, left-wing, people use it to, to, to try to scare people away, and it's scare tactics, and it's labeling. Look at the policies. Look at what everybody stands for. Look at what this right-wing government has or hasn't done. And they make your analysis about what is actually best for Israel. I guess it goes back to that idea that politics is the art of the possible, not trying to promise the impossible, but rather trying to see what can be achieved and actually done rather than talking about whatever you want and not doing it.
Correct, correct. And I think that uh, you have to look at people, look for people who will actually carry out what they've said they're going to do and, and, and recognize that a lot of these promises when it comes to the right are, are empty promises because it's, even if the leaders want to do it, even if Netanyahu wants to do it, he can't do it. There's a reality of the world that we live in and, and he is a person who's going to think about Israel's ultimate security at the end of the day and, and that's where Iran comes in and that's where these broader issues of Hezbollah and others and ISIS, all these things... International boycotts, everything Correct, like correct. Um, but... but the, I, I, I specifically didn't say international boycotts. Okay, why not? Only because there's a voice that says, well, forget what the world says. We have to do what we have to do. And, 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 I, and I understand where that frustration is coming from. And I understand that. So I want to point out these decisions are not, when we talk about the international community, it's not simply they won't give us things or they won't have, it's we won't be able to have a coalition against Iran. We won't be able to deal with the most significant threat. The existential issues. Correct. And, and, and therefore, it's not just a question of worrying about what they say, it's worrying about what's best for Israel. Can we talk about something a little lighter right now? The World Baseball Classic. That's lighter? Baseball's a lighter <laughs> topic? Sorry, come I on, come I on. I know who I'm speaking with. Yeah. World Baseball Classic. Israel just won its third game. They beat the Netherlands a team which was supposed to be far better than Israel. What's going on? I mean, this is amazing. So, this so is I, incredible. You know, I want, I, want to, I want people to hear this because I, it, it, this is a story, in my opinion, which is greater than baseball. The players were here in Israel uh, just a few weeks ago. I spent some time with them. Anybody who knows sports knows that uh, the, the coalescing, the bonding of a team and the mission that a team feels that they're on is is half the battle. It, 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 so much of it is mental. And they came here and they connected to the land of Israel. They connected to the support they were getting from the kids and the people here in Israel. They realized they're playing for something much greater than just a simple baseball tournament. And that and and you see that playing out on the field. They have no business beating Korea. Korea won the World Baseball Classic. Uh, they have no business playing against them and, and on the. They have no business being in the Netherlands, which had a few players from the major major league players. Xander Bogars uh, from my Red Sox, yeah. You know? Right, and, and, and Jonathan Scope, Orioles. I mean, these, these people are there, and, and, and they have no business. Um, but they believe in themselves, and they believe in what they're playing for. And I heard some of the quotes from the players talking about how they believe that there's something beyond themselves going on over here. Really? And these are Jews who are connecting to the Jewish homeland, representing the Jewish homeland, proudly wearing the Star of David, Magin David, on their sleeves, wearing a kippah, the most open symbol of Judaism, uh, in a field in Korea while the singing of the National Anthem for Israel is being played. Uh, that was incredible. That was such a moment. Correct. And there's something much greater happening, and you see what happens when they feel this connection and they're playing something for something beyond themselves. I think it might have some positive implications for Israel baseball in the future. Isn't that right? So for Israel baseball and for Israel. First for Israel baseball, yes, there's funding which Israel will now get towards baseball programming, which is wonderful. Uh, there's implications in terms of automatically qualifying in the next World Baseball Classic. But I want to go a step further. Sports Illustrated, ESPN, CBS Sports, Yahoo Sports, one after another, Israel, the Cinderella story. They're showing the players wearing Jew pride T-shirts. Uh, 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 the, the, the bench on the bench. bench. The, 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 there's a discussion about Israel, not about the Palestinians, not about conflict, not about boycotts, not about these issues. They're talking about Israel as a regular country with baseball. And that has an impact when it comes to the public diplomacy and Israel advocacy. The average person that's going to sit back and read their Sports Illustrated, there's going to be an article about Israel. Israel baseball, they're going to read a story and see a feel-good, positive story about Israel, uh, not in a political context, not in any context other than just a normal
normal thing that countries have, which is baseball teams. I think that's an incredible development uh, for the state of Israel and can only be positive for us in the future. I'm Scott Kahn with Rabbi Dov Lipman. You've been listening to Knesset Corner.